Good morning. Grace and faithfulness, the two are tied together. We're going to be looking at that today in the lives of Joseph and Mary, uh, Simeon and Anna. Luke's the only one who mentions these childhood temple events in his gospel and Jesus's life. Uh, Matthew mentions a couple in his gospel, the Magi visit and then the flight to Egypt. But other than that, the first 30 years of Jesus's life were pretty much a mystery to us. Uh, Luke gives us a couple summary statements in his gospel that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, that he, he went home and he obeyed his parents. So those are pretty, pretty brief statements. But if you start to think about it, uh, you probably have. Have you ever wondered, are you a parent? If you're a parent, do you ever wonder what it would be like raising a sinless child? What would the challenges be as a parent dealing with a son who just is perfect? And, and then on top of that, if, if you happen to have brothers and sisters or other siblings, what would it be like being the half-brother or sister to the perfect model child? I mean, I can just hear somebody saying, why can't you be like... No, uh, we won't go there. You know, if it, if it was important for us to know the details of Jesus's life when he was a child, God would certainly have told us that so that we uh, would have that information to help us on. But what we do know is what God has given us about Jesus's life in the Gospels is information we must have, information that will help us believe in him, information that will move us on in wisdom to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we can walk wisely, so we can live life well. That's why he tells us these things. So with that in mind, I ask you this morning, why would God choose through Luke to give us these details about Jesus's early life as an infant and this trip to the temple for Joseph and Mary to take him there? What did he want us to know? And how will these actions, as we, as we think about Joseph and Mary, Simeon and Anna, how do they help us live for, for God, to come to faith and to follow him better? God's forgiving mercy and empowering grace enables us to believe and then to obey. There's some very familiar verses, uh, familiar verses to many of us. Let me read them. We're going to look at them again later on in the message. But let me read them now. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Very familiar verses to many. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not by, as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's grace... His mercy enables us to believe, to give us the gift of salvation. And then he goes to work in people who believe in him and shapes their lives and makes them new people, different people, people who now have a bent, a heart that wants to follow God. It's all a work of grace. And that's what we see here working, God's grace, his gift of salvation, working itself out in life in Joseph and Mary's life, in Simeon's life, 
in Anna's life. So we can learn a few things about how God's grace, the grace of your believer in Christ right now, that's at work in your life and my life. And God wants to move us on to become more like Jesus, just like they were. So let's take a look. God's grace at work shaping Joseph and Mary into, and their godly attitudes of obedience. Cyrus read, by the way, Cyrus is our new youth intern, if you didn't know who that young, handsome young man was. As he read scripture today, we see, first of all, that Joseph and Mary went to the temple. And when the time came, verse 22, for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that is, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law had a bunch of requirements. And they were giving gladly back to God what God had given to them. We didn't read it today, but in verse 21, it says, After eight days, and this was a commandment, Jesus was circumcised. They gave him his name, Jesus, in obedience to what the angels had told him. And circumcision, in Genesis chapter 17, was a sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. God said, Abraham, you're going to possess a land and there's going to be a great people, a great nation that's going to come from you. And the promised one, the promised deliverer is going to come from your descendants. So as a sign of my promise to you and a, and a promise from you to me is circumcise your male children, every one of them, every eight days. And if you don't circumcise them, that's breaking the covenant. That's basically what you're saying is, we don't want anything to do with God if you don't follow through on this circumcision right that I've given you. It's a sign that you're trusting in me, that you believe in what I've said, and you want to be identified with me. So to disobey would be a huge thing. So we see Luke wants us to know that Jesus was circumcised according to the law because his parents were people who trusted in God and they wanted to love and obey him. But secondly, there's the purification rites and the present presenting of Jesus to the Lord. In verse 23, we read, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Two things are happening here. Two more rites about a month later and a little bit more. There are purification rites. And Mary, giving birth to a son or to a daughter, had to go to the temple or to the tabernacle and present herself for ceremonial cleansing. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter, chapter 12. I'll just read a couple of verses there, beginning at verse 8. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent a meeting of a lamp, the tent of the meat, the, excuse me, of the tent of the meeting, a lamb a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from her flow of blood. This is a law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and another for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Now, I don't want to go into the details of why, because that's a different message. But understand 
I think it has something to do with the curse. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> a woman had to come and present herself before the Lord and offer a sin offering. It wasn't because bearing a child was sin, but it's a reminder of the sin that took place in the Garden of Eden. It's a reminder of the curse that is on us as people, that God is willing to cleanse us if we come before him. And it says their purification. So we kind of think Joseph being a, an integral part of Jesus' birth and the touching of blood and the mess of birth had to be cleansed as well, to come before the Lord in the right way. The right attitude, godly obedience. And it mentions in Luke's account that two birds were offered and it shows us that they couldn't afford the lamb. This was a poor household. God came humbly, and he was part. Jesus was raised in a poor household. The God of glory living poorly. And then there's the presenting of Jesus, another rite that had to take place. Circumcision on the eighth day. 30 days plus a little bit later, the parents or the mother had to be purified and then Jesus was prevent, presented to the Lord. The firstborn child, the firstborn son was to be offered to the Lord and there had to be a redemption price paid to take him back to yourself. Isn't that interesting? So it's just recognizing who the Lord is, who our gifts come from, and they presented Jesus to the Lord, and we believe that they paid the five, the five silver pieces to redeem Jesus so that they could take him home. This was just an offering to the Lord to remind them again that the Lord gives life, the Lord gives this heritage, life comes from God, and we're giving back to him what he's given to us. We're offering it to him as a sacrifice. And you might remember... Hannah did give her son Samuel to the Lord. She returned him to the Lord for service. What a picture. What's Luke trying to tell us? What is God trying to tell us? Right attitudes. Approaching God carefully. The law's requirements, these commands and ceremonies are so far removed from us, they just, they hardly make sense. We don't really understand them, so we don't think about them. When we read these passages, we kind of just pass over them. Imagine this morning if we had to come to church to worship, and before we did that, we had to bring a lamb or a bird and offer a sacrifice before we entered the presence of the Lord. What a messy, smelly action. Don't approach God casually. Remember who we are. Isaiah reminds us that we're like grass and we're like flowers. We're here today and gone tomorrow. So remember who you are before God and, and come before him reverently. Remember who God is. We talked about that last week from Isaiah 40. He's the great God. There's no one who can compare with him. He, he measures the heavens just with his hands. He, he, he holds the oceans and measures it, uh, the water in his hands. The nations are like a drop in the bucket or dust on the scales to God. There's no one like him. He's set apart. 
Remember who we are. Remember who God is. And remember what Jesus tells us. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So when you can come to God, remember you can come boldly into his presence. The Hebrew writer tells us that. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. But how can we do that? Because Jesus, the Lamb of God, died in our place. He shed his blood. He sacrificed it for us. So Luke puts all these Jewish obligations together in one place just to show us the kind of home Jesus was raised in. Because Jesus was going to be accused of not following the law later on in his life. And we see from the very outset his family and he followed through very carefully. The right approach to God for us is like this. We come to God through Christ Jesus. There's no other way to come before God. We must come through Christ, through faith in him. Certainly not based on our own righteousness. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. We come to the Father through him. We come by believing in Jesus, and then we offer him our sacrifices of praise. We did that this morning. We reminded ourselves who we are. We were dead, separated from God, and Jesus came and died in our place, and he was raised again from the dead. He conquered the grave so that we can have hope of eternal life. We need to declare that regularly. That's how we worship God. That's how we show our obedience to God. That's how we remind ourselves who we are and who God is. And God's powerful grace is always shaping us. He shaped Joseph and Mary by his grace. God's grace was at work, causing them to believe and trust in him, and then to believe and obey him to the letter of the law, as hard as it was, as best as they could, depending on his grace and mercy. Secondly, God's grace was at work shaping Simeon Joseph and Mary, and then Simeon. Simeon's godly praise and declaration. I love the little bit that we know about him. Look at verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. First thing we notice again here is Simeon is called righteous and devout, much like Zechariah and Elizabeth were back in chapter 1. And we know no one's righteous before God. Romans 3 verses 10 and 11 and 12 and on tell us that there's no one righteous, no not one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. So how can he be righteous and devout? The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we are made righteous. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24, and many other verses remind us of that. They tell us how we can be made righteous. It's received by believing, by believing, by faith in Christ. One other thing I notice about Simeon here, do you notice how much the Holy Spirit's mentioned in Luke's first chapters? He's all over the place. The Holy Spirit's busy working. He's a part of people's lives. He's guiding us. He's mentioned three times in three verses. 
verse 25, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by who? By the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. So three times the Holy Spirit not only has saved this man and made him righteous, but now the Spirit of God is guiding him the way the Spirit of God will guide us as we trust and obey the Lord. He walks with us, he lives in us, and he's guiding him. The Holy Spirit is a part of the gift of our salvation. He draws us to belief, and then he teaches us how to walk in the path that Jesus wants us to follow. People with faith in God and Christ have an edge. I'm smiling at you right now because do you believe that? If you're a follower of Christ, you have an edge over the rest of the world. Think about that. You have the edge. Most people don't see it. They can't believe it. But people who follow Christ have the edge on life. There's a huge difference between knowing about God and walking with God. Are you walking with God? Do you know him? Have you allowed him to be a part of your life? Walking with Christ, he came to give us a restored relationship with God. That's why he came. And the Holy Spirit indwells his, God's people so we can walk with God. You have the edge. over death, it's nothing to fear. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. You have the edge. You don't have to answer the door when sin and temptation knock on it. You can say, I'm gonna follow Christ. Give me the power. He will help you to do that. Following Jesus does not fix everything now. Have you learned that? But it sets us on a new path. And that path guarantees that you will not be disappointed when you see Jesus face to face. It guarantees it. That's a gift from God to know that assurance. So Simeon had this, and it reminds us that he was faithful throughout his whole life. He was promised by God that he would see the Lord's salvation. And then he sang this song of praise, verse 29. He took Jesus in his arms. Imagine holding God in your arms. The God who can't be held is being held. He came humbly. And he sings a song and he blesses God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. You can dismiss your servant in peace. The Lord, the sovereign Lord, that's a Greek word there that says one who has absolute ownership and power. And, and, and Simon is holding God himself in his arms and he's declaring that there's no one who answers you answer to. That's amazing. 
He recognizes and reveres his God. He's in step with the Lord. And he says, now you can dismiss me in peace because you've kept your promise. My eyes have seen your salvation. Have you seen Jesus? That means that your mind and your soul recognizes who he is. Have you seen Jesus with your eyes, with the eyes of your heart, with the eyes of your soul? But, but Simeon got to do it twice. <laughs> he saw God's salvation. He understood he needed a savior. And then he got to see God in the flesh. He has one foot in the old covenant. I guess I should put it over here where the, the, the lambs and the doves had to be killed because they were still in the Old Covenant, Old Testament times. But he had one foot. He got to see the new covenant coming, the new Lamb of God that would take away the sins of all the world. No more messing with lambs and goats and bulls and birds for sacrifice as a symbol. The Lamb who would take it all away was finally here, and he's rejoicing. And there's these wonderful themes of light and glory. They're repeated throughout these early chapters because that's what God's salvation plan is all about. It brings light to our eyes so we can see. And it brings praise to God because it's a glorious plan. And then Simeon gives a prophecy. Look at verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the falling and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So here's this declaration of what's ahead. And there's good news and there's bad news. After all Joseph and Mary had heard, I mean, angels coming to talk to them, shepherds coming, Elizabeth getting pregnant, all this stuff happening, and they're still marveling at what Simeon's saying about Jesus. Why would they be marveling? Well, I can only guess, but I think Luke wants us to kind of surmise what's going on here. Simeon is saying something from the Old Testament. Isaiah, in Isaiah 18, said that Jesus was going to be a rock that divided people, that crushed people, that he was going to divide the people of Israel. Jesus divides people. I thought Jesus came to unify people. Well, he does. People who are willing to submit to him, he brings together from every tribe, nation, people, and language. We all become one under him, but he will split the Jews. And I think that was a, a concept that Joseph and Mary were having a hard time grasping that I thought the Messiah would come and unify Israel, but the truth was it was going to divide and show who really was trusting in God and who wasn't. You know, I'm still trying to get around it, but I realize that there's no part way with Jesus. We try to do it all the time. There's no fence sitting with Jesus. It's either we're all in or we're not in at all. It's yes or no. There's no fence sitting. There's no maybe later. 
What do our lives say about what we really believe about Jesus? That's a really personal question. <laughs> it's a deep question. Simeon accepted God's plans. Simeon is only seeing the very earliest of Jesus' deliverance. I mean, the Savior's here, but he's just a baby. I mean, he can't do anything. What do babies do? You can figure it out. The Messiah wasn't here in great power yet, but Simon, or Simon, excuse me, Simeon, I think I said Simon a few other times, forgive me. Simeon is content with this. It's enough. God's come through. He's kept his promise to me. I've seen his salvation. I've held him in my hands, and I'm at peace with God's timing and his place for me in this grand scheme of God bringing salvation to the world. And we just have to stand back and say, well done, good and faithful servant, Simeon. You trusted in God. You've been faithful for your whole life. Mary and Joseph are marveling at all these words. And there's more to come. They already had some negative experiences, but there's more negative experiences to come. So at this point in your walk with God, wherever you are, have you been a believer for a month? Or maybe... 12 months, or maybe 60 years. I don't know where you're at, but growing in grace is learning how to accept God's plans for us and being at peace with where we are. And you know, there's always this tension in the Christian life because we're to be content with God's gift, where we are, who we are, with the gifts he's given us and abilities. And on the other hand, we're not to be content because we're always supposed to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're always supposed to be doing better. So we're to be content in our salvation, knowing that God has us, that Christ will hold on to us, that we are his, and he's gifted us to serve him in different ways. But then we're not to be content. We're to pursue the greater gift gifts and to grow in knowledge and to serve God better. I'm not to be content with other people's knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to go out there and let them know what's going on, that Jesus is the Savior that they need to believe in. We need to figure out a way to make clear messages to people who don't understand who Jesus is. We're to hold on to Jesus, though, and be at peace even though there might not be any peace around us. There's this interesting text in the book of Revelation. The teens were talking about the book of Revelation and how hard it is to understand today, just in a passing comment. In chapter 10, verse 8, John's having a vision And there's this great angel in verse 8 of chapter 10 of Revelation that says this, Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter. But in your mouth, it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, 
it made my stomach, in my stomach it was bitter and I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages. So the truth of God is sweet and it's bitter. Jesus has come to deliver us from sin's curse. Yay! Can you say yay? Yay. But it will be both the downfall of many and the rising of others. Many will be crushed by his presence. Houses will be divided. Oh. Go ahead, say it. Oh. Jesus is coming again to establish his kingdom. Yay! But before that, there will be unmatched suffering in the world, and the saints alive at that time will face the greatest trials in all of history. Oh, sweet and bitter. Being a child of God is amazing and good. Belief in Christ is the path to everlasting life and everlasting shalom. Yay! But Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. Oh. God's compassion and his grace for his people holds on to us and moves us toward godliness, godliness and righteousness. And his grace enabled Joseph and Mary to believe and, and then to obey. And Simeon's faith in God shaped him and he was devoted and he accepted his part in God's plan and the news of God's salvation, and he was excited about it, and he was at peace with it. We want to look just real quickly at Anna's life, because it's really short and sweet. Verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow, she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What does faithful service look like? Joseph and Mary give us a little clue. Simeon gives us a little clue. Anna gives us a little clue and you put them all together and you get a little bit bigger picture of what it's like to trust God even though you don't see or understand or perceive all that he's going to do or is doing or has done. She was devoted to the Lord. She was a prophetess. She spoke the word of God to others. She was a teacher. And after a very short, very short mess, marriage, short message, Sorry. Short marriage. She turned her total attention to serving God in the temple. And it wasn't a glorious ministry. It was a closet ministry. It was a behind the scenes. She prayed and she fasted. That's hard work. That's not easy to do. She was looking forward to God saving Jerusalem, redeeming Jerusalem, making it the glorious city that it's going to be when Jesus returns. There's this physical and this spiritual redemption that she was looking forward to. We know so little about her, and I don't think her life was very happy. 
but we don't know. I don't even know, we don't even know what her faith journey was like to get her to this point and how she grew as she served God in the temple, how she was transformed. But here's what we do know. J.C. Rao gives these observations. She loved to be in God's dwelling place. She loved to be where God dwelt and the temple was where God was supposed to especially dwell, to live among his people. She practiced self-denial for her soul's well-being. She was spiritually disciplined. She prayed and fasted, closet work, not a big public ministry, but God was pleased with her and her love for his glory. She fellowshiped with other people who were looking forward to, to God coming in all his glory. She confirmed who Jesus was and she spoke to anyone about it. Those are great qualities that she had. And we learn that just in these few verses. So what life lessons do we learn from Anna and Simeon and Mary and Joseph? Well, no matter how difficult or easy, difficult or easy my life circumstances are, no matter my age or my station in life, ask God to help you be settled and content and to serve him well where you are, to follow him, to obey him, to follow his word, to let it shape you and not be afraid to trust him and do him and do what you know he wants you to do. Just remember, Mary was a teenager. And Anna and Simeon, well, they were old and gray. But they were faithful, young and old. Where we are, we can do it too by God's grace. We can be faithful people sin and opening up our eyes to believe in Jesus. Mighty is your power that goes to work in us to change us. Your grace, Christ Jesus, molds us into faithful servants. Lord, may your grace move us toward Jesus and his kingdom and away from the lesser things of this world so that we're focused only more and more on you. Luke introduces us to this, you know, it's interesting, an interesting cast of characters if you want to look at it like a play, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth and shepherds and angels, Mary and Joseph, now Anna and Simeon. And it takes us back to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you've been saved by faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. Priests and carpenters and shepherds and women and men and a teenager and husbands and wives and widows, all by God's grace, serving their great God. God's love and righteousness filled their hearts because of faith. So they dared to obey. They lived faithfully for God because they believed what he said was true and they declared his good news wherever they went. Let's pray. Lord, you are still people and you're saving them by your work through Jesus Christ. Your grace is opening eyes to see and to believe and to receive eternal life. And I ask you now, by your powerful grace, to empower us to be merciful and faithful like you are. Transform us by your powerful might so that we will serve you like Joseph and Mary, young in our days, 
serving you faithfully, even though sweet and bitter things are promised. Like Simeon and Anna, Lord, make us great servants of yours. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.